Greetings and welcome to the Virginia Hospital and Healthcare Association's Patients Come First podcast series. Podcast episodes are available on VHHA.com and on popular podcast hosting apps, including Apple Podcasts, Spotify, Pandora, and many others. Episodes of the podcast also air each Saturday at noon and Sunday at 10 a.m. on 100.5 FM, 92.7 FM, and 820 AM across Central Virginia. Please send any questions, comments, or feedback to PCFpodcast at VHHA.com. Again, that's PCFpodcast at VHHA.com. And today we're excited to be joined by Delegate Lasharice Aird, who serves in the Virginia General Assembly as the elected representative for the 63rd House District, which covers Petersburg, Dinwiddie, and parts of Chesterfield County. When Delegate Aird was first sworn in in 2016, she had the distinction of being the youngest woman ever elected to the Virginia House of Delegates. Today, we'll chat with Delegate Aird about what brought her into politics, healthcare policy, and more. But first, welcome to the program, Delegate Aird. Well, thank you so much for that kind introduction. I'm looking forward to today's discussion. Well, we are too. And let's jump right in. Earlier this spring, we invited all the statewide candidates for governor, lieutenant governor, and attorney general to make their case to voters who will pick the nominees for those offices. In addition to those offices, all 100 district seats in the Virginia House of Delegates are also on the ballot in November. That, of course, includes the 63rd district. So, Delegate Aird, as you speak with voters, whether that's in person or virtually, what are the themes and accomplishments you're emphasizing as you make your case for re-election? Absolutely. You know, it's been interesting campaigning in a almost virtual environment, and we are just getting to a place where we can actually show up on folks' doorsteps again. Mm -hmm. But primarily, uh, I've been talking to voters about the things that they are thinking about most, which is actively still transitioning out of this pandemic and then the recovery and relief efforts. This past session and likely the special session they associate with us taking a number of steps to try and help families during their greatest time of need. So I'm oftentimes talking with people about a lot of the kitchen table issues. Are they employed right now? Do they have access to the resources to pay for, you know, just putting food on the table and their utilities, making sure everything is maintained? And most families are also thinking about education and, you know, the impact that their children and families have experienced. And so uh, a lot of the conversations, even as we're taking our masks off and heading back outdoors, are still very much about this pandemic. Understandable that that would be on a lot of people's minds. On the topic of speaking to voters, I'm curious if you can tell me what first attracted you to politics. And in these cynical times, what do you say when you encounter folks who may be skeptical about institutions and the sometimes fractious nature of politics? How do you give them a glimmer of hope or optimism that things still can be accomplished? And obviously, as you just mentioned, you know, that we can come out of this pandemic period stronger in the long run. You know, I think the greatest challenge that we are living through right now is the severe fracture of, I think, distrust that exists in society and in our communities. There have been so many seeds of, I think the best way for me to categorize it is, uh, as you said, skepticism in every single direction on every single issue. And when I have an opportunity to speak with voters, I try to reassure them that, hey, look, you know, I grew up experiencing adverse circumstances and it really didn't take a pandemic. It was just everyday life. And they want to know that their leaders are real people who have gone through real things. And so I always take an opportunity to share my journey because that really has translated directly into the issues that I advocate for. And particularly during this period of going through this pandemic, there are some of the same issues that families who are just unfortunately 
and find themselves in impoverished circumstances that they deal with every day. And so one thing that I learned early on, even prior to elected office, is that people are people first. And if you approach voters, if you approach folks in our community from that position, it tends to allow for that trust to be built up and for open communication about what they're thinking and feeling to occur. That is one important strategy to have conversations with people and hopefully to engage with them one-on-one and soften hearts and minds one conversation at a time. On the subject of policy, you've been around now in the House for a few two-year terms, and in that time, you've had a chance to cast votes on significant pieces of legislation, including Medicaid expansion in 2018, which has helped more than 500,000 Virginians gain health coverage since 2019. And while access to care is critical, we also know that social and environmental factors such as access to nutritious foods and education and housing and so much more play a real significant role in individual and community health outcomes. This year, you sponsored legislation declaring racism a public health crisis and a factor that impacts health, uh, making Virginia the first southern state to do so. I imagine that you know more than most that there are a wide range of views about that declaration, to put it diplomatically. (laughs) For those those listening, can you describe the intent of the legislation and what uh, you hope it will accomplish and why you believe it's necessary as a public policy statement? You know, I want to start with a statement you just mentioned, which is that during the period of time of trying to pass this resolution, this declaration, it reminded me of every reason why we desperately needed it here in the Commonwealth. If you look at the actual breakdown of the votes on this particular resolution, you will see that it was mostly party lines. And it was bipartisan in that we brought over one or two votes, but it was mostly party lines. And during the debate around the resolution, it is much like the conversation we have in our communities around racism. Many still conflate this idea of systemic racism with the actual act and or being a racist, which they are entirely two very different things. The resolution was critical in Virginia because we are the former home of the Confederacy, And there is nothing we can do that will ever change that history. And we have to be very honest about what that history has meant for our systems and the structures that we have put in place that were put in place to serve people, but unfortunately has not served everyone equitably. So the intent of the resolution is to make the mere declaration and acknowledge that this barrier exists so that we can take the steps that need to come after to actually begin to break down this problem. And in the resolution, we lay out a series of steps to begin that process. But the only way we can begin to actually affect change on this front is to have a conversation about it and acknowledge that this racism actually is still very much alive and well, especially in our systems and institutions. Well, I appreciate uh, you offering that explanation. Next, I want to ask you about career and technical training. You work on the administrative side at one of Virginia's community colleges. There's been a renewed emphasis in recent years on the value of technical certification and degree programs at community colleges that can help people move into a more stable career field. One example of that related to the COVID pandemic is respiratory therapists, which have been in high demand in healthcare settings throughout the pandemic. From your vantage as someone who represents constituents who are striving for more, what message would you offer about perhaps overlooked opportunities for skill development and career advancement through programs available in the Commonwealth? 
Yeah, thank you for that question. I will offer one point of clarification. Um, I do work at probably, it's an anomaly here in our Commonwealth, and it is not part of the community college system, but it is a two-year branch of William & Mary. But just generally to our two-year institutions, they're serving a critical purpose right now, given the example you offered around respiratory therapists, because just generally in the spirit of the pandemic, we are living through an age where we need to be entrepreneurial about how we are encouraging young people to obtain their credentials and or their training or just pursue the, the completion of uh, skills for the jobs that are available at this time. And what that means is there are so many companies and organizations now that are not necessarily looking for that four-year degree or that master's degree anymore. They want to know can you write strongly? Can you communicate properly? Can you do the job that is needed in that particular environment? And that might look like coming in for very specific training and they can take you and do the rest from there. And what we're seeing happening right now is a disruption in higher education, particularly at the community college level, because the jobs that were available even pre-pandemic have changed immediately, um, as you've mentioned, and we have to be flexible. We have to be nimble to be able to adapt to this changing and disruptive environment. And I think you see a lot of the institutions, particularly the two years, that are doing that. And if you add in the caveat of this virtual environment, which many institutions were thrust into, whether they were ready for it or prepared or not, I think that we've seen a huge uptick in accessibility and affordability for those who started their, their degrees or started some form of training and are now just going back to complete and for those who are actively traditional students in the process of obtaining and are just trying to prepare themselves for what the post-pandemic job market looks like. Well, I appreciate you sharing that perspective and insight. And now that we've tackled the serious stuff, Delegate Aaron, I do have a few other <laughs> questions for you to give listeners a bit more personal insight about you. The first, and this is an entirely imaginary premise, but in the hypothetical scenario (laughs) that you could anticipate your final day on earth, what would your last meal be? Oh my goodness. My last meal would probably be shrimp and broccoli Alfredo. I absolutely love Alfredo, but it has to be genuine, authentic, made Alfredo sauce, not anything out of a jar or, you know, out of a can. It has to be real shredded Parmesan cheese with olive oil and garlic and butter, but that would be it. <laughs> okay, that's that sounds good. I will tell you, uh, as an adult, I, I love shrimp, but I've actually developed a shrimp allergy, so I can't have it anymore. I can, oh, all, I'm all, so sorry. <laughs> all of the shellfish is fine. I can still have crab and you know and scallops and things like that, but oh. for whatever reason, shrimp as an adult, it does not sit with me anymore. Oh my goodness! Well, I'm pescatarian, so that would be pretty rough for me. <laughs> <laughs> um, next question for you is: What's one post-COVID thing that you're most looking for? forward to being able to do interesting one oh okay i know what it is going to the movie theater i am a movie theater fanatic mostly for the popcorn my husband will tell you but because of the pandemic we have not been to a movie theater in over a year and i don't know that we are uh ready just yet but as soon as we are Further down the line, uh, and having removed masks and have increased our vaccination numbers, that is absolutely on my list. <laughs> I, I absolutely agree with you. I, I miss, I like going to the experience of going to the movie theater and I miss that as well. Yes, very much. And then finally, Delegate Aired, if you were stranded on a deserted island, what one book, 
one album and one movie would you take with you to keep yourself company? Oh, my goodness. <laughs> to keep yourself company. We will spot you a copy of the religious text of your choice. So other than that, what are your three oh, entertainment so, survival kit picks? Let me take the easy way out. Okay. Um, because I thoroughly enjoyed it and I um, have read it, in the past, I think it's been two years now, I would take Becoming, mm-hmm. Michelle Obama's memoir. It just was such a feel-good album. I would take Homecoming, which is Beyonce's, and it's like totally up-tempo, and it, it just start to finish the absolute best. I look and stare so deep in your eyes I touch on you more and more every time When you leave, I'm begging you not to go Call your name two, three times in a row such a funny thing for me to try to explain How I'm feeling and my pride is the one to blame Yeah, I still don't understand Just how you look at doing no so you said book, you said album, and what was the last one? Movies, <laughs> since we were just talking about movie theaters Movies I would take A Bronx Tale That is my absolute favorite movie mm. in the entire world Now you just can't leave I will never forget the look on their faces all eight of them, their faces dropped. All their courage and strength was drained right from their bodies. They had a reputation for breaking up bars, but they knew that instant they made a fatal mistake. This time they walked into the wrong bar. I would take that with me. That's a, that's a, that's a, that's a deep cut with, uh, with Collagio is the name of that yes, character. Yes, it is. Yeah. <laughs> That would be the three. They would bring me happiness. Okay, great. Well, listen, I appreciate you being with us. And with that, that's going to bring us to the close of another episode of the Virginia Hospital and Healthcare Association's Patients Come First podcast. If you like what you heard, please make sure to leave us a five-star review on Apple Podcasts and subscribe so that you know when new episodes are available. And we want to once again thank our guest, Delegate Lashree's Aird, for joining us today. So thank you. Thank you so much for having me. I enjoyed the conversation. 